It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by Laura Coates, the senior legal analyst for CNN and the host of The Laura Coates Show on Sirius XM POTUS. She's here to talk to us about what comes next for the insurrection investigation after the hearing that we lo- that we watched last week. Laura, thank you so much for being here this morning. How are you? I'm so great. I can't believe I came in after Here You Come Again by Dolly Parton. Like, are you guys on my total right now? Do you guys have my, my personal Monday morning playlist? Because that's a hell of a way to start the week. I love it. We just love us some Dolly on this show, and we occasionally have a little Dolly celebration corner, and and so you you happen to be joining us on one of those days. So we are happy to give that to you this Monday. (laughs) I mean, let me tell you, the best line in that song is "Looking better than a body has a right to." I love that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. That's excellent. That one. That's a Hall of Famer. Okay. As much as I would love to talk about Dolly Parton for the next twenty minutes, because that is. So much happier than what we are talking about. Um, we should probably turn to the uh, insurrection investigation that is playing out in in Congress right now. I think we all saw this testimony. Um, it was I, I don't think any of us expected to see anything new because you know the same people watching the. Did we lose oh, you know, just for a second? Yeah. I, okay. I'm lo- so I hear, I hear you now. Okay, there you go. I think we lost just for a second. I'm going to give her one second because she was in the middle of a question. Okay. But she's not coming back. So I'm just going to ask my question, uh, if that's all right. And we'll go back to Jess's question when we fix her um, sound technical difficulties. I mean, we're in a pandemic. Everybody give us a little grace. <laughs> um, but I think, OK, so my first question about sort of where we are is actually sort of bigger picture, um, because one of the things that I've been trying to sort of answer in my own brain is like there are facts that are coming out new ones that we didn't know before about what happened before, during and after January 6th. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know how they teach you in law school? Sometimes you don't know if if something, you know, violates a statute or is illegal, but it just doesn't smell right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are the kind of facts that we're learning in the past week. Um, we're learning that the president was calling the Department of Justice every single day, trying to get them to say the election was, you know, that corrupt and that it was stolen. Um, we we've learned what more about what Donald Trump was doing the day of the insurrection during the insurrection itself, and we also know what he did after the insurrection, um, either lying about the election or phone banking Georgia and trying to um, get folks to, um, you know, find votes. Um, are any of these facts? relevant to a legal case against Donald Trump, the person that's sort of the bigger picture question I'm asking, because we've learned so much and we've gone through one week so far of these select committee hearings. And I'm like, all these facts are bad, but I don't feel like there's any forum possible to hold folks accountable for this new information. Well, so I think that's exactly the the, the big question in general about to what do we actually know? And, and you're right to point out the notion of 
some things don't pass the smell test, but legally it's one of those notions of, remember why we're here. This is a select committee through Congress. This is, these are not the federal prosecutor. These are not the state level prosecutors whose job it will be in a court of law to, have, to meet their burden of proof. The legislative branch, as we all know, their goal is going to be, frankly, to fill that gap legislatively between what is illegal and what ought to be illegal. And I think that's where we are right now in that weird congressional legislative gap of the things that because we are in novel territory, because we've been in the wild, wild west for quite some time, where um, we are realizing that the break glass in case of emergency that we thought was whatever was inside that case in Congress mm -hmm. wasn't really there because everything was a handshake agreement and an expectation of reasonableness on both sides or right. an expectation of separation of powers. And so there's going to be that notion of it. But I also want to say it's going to be very important for this committee to be more expansive in their in their not only goals, which is, of course, transparency, but also thinking about who might be the target of an investigation for them. When you narrow it down to whether what they find out will ultimately lead to former President Trump in terms of his criminality or alleged criminality, remember what they're trying to do, I think it's more important, frankly, is to figure out all of the players involved. Why were the members of the Capitol Hill Police and the Washington Post Police, why were they un outnumbered? Why were they outdone? Why was the chatter online that was known by our intelligence community, why did it either go undetected or that it wasn't acted upon in some meaningful way? Why did a congressman, Mo Brooks I'm talking about, why did he wear body armor to speak to people who his colleagues said were just going to be tourists visiting the Capitol? Why was there a delay in trying to get reinforcement and also, what led up to it? Were there other players involved in maybe facilitating the big lie and, and having conversations with local politicians, local leaders who had, the, who had the duties of administering the elections? And so while I do think that there is necessarily, and obviously I understand why, a focus on whether all roads will lead to Donald Trump, really, this is going to be a far more meandering path. And I think that's going to be the scariest aspect of it. All of the mm. people who could be involved, not just one. Okay, so that makes sense to me because I think I am probably too singularly focused on the possibility um, of prosecuting Donald Trump, the person. But there's so you're right. There's so many more people involved because one of the questions that I have, even after the first week of hearings, so you have the police officers come, Capitol Hill police officers come testify. It's emotional. It really sets, I think, sort of the parameters for what we're talking about here and reminding everybody that this wasn't a tourist videos visit or whatever spin you know the mm -hmm. republicans who voted to decertify to not certify the election um whatever line they're trying to to throw out there like we can dismiss that but i have a lot of questions about um to your point about what allowed for those capitol police officers to be sort of on the day of the insurrection for hours and hours and hours attacked without any reinforcements coming in like how how can something like that happen is it and, and, yeah. is it just donald trump that you know like are we going to find out that 
Donald Trump like said no? Are we going to find out that (laughs) they didn't even call him because they knew he would say no? Like, what are the kinds of things that you are listening out for as we sort of go through these hearings in terms of those relevant facts? Because my first question was sort of about, um, you know, that some of these facts coming out seem relevant in a legal context. What are you listening for in terms of facts that are coming out that are relevant? Well, here's what I'm listening for. Um, I want, when they subpoena the phone records of what was going in and out um, of members of Congress, of members, even White House officials, we already know that Merrick Garland, the attorney general has already said, he's not gonna assert executive privilege as it relates to Justice Department employees. So if there were telephone calls that were made, if there was knowledge about what was coming up, remember in the branch of government, which is the executive branch under which the DOJ falls, you also have the FBI, you also have the intelligence community apparatuses, which are going to be able to tell you what was known and run up the chain. And then what conversations may have been had to relay that to that to the then president of the United States, those conversations. And so I'm looking to figure out what was known beforehand and leading up to it. But I'm also looking for information. We know about, of course, um, Leader McCarthy, Minority Leader McCarthy, having the call or making the call. We know Jim Jordan over, I think it was the weekend, and the local TV station um, was was, react, was reacting to a question of a reporter that said, when did you speak to President Trump? Oh, I think I spoke to him that day. I talked to him all the time. Was it before, during, or after the insurrection? Uh, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure when that would be. Those are things I'm looking at for to understand because for every plea, for every um, plea for his assistance, I'm marking time. There's a chronology at that point. Then there's the idea of, well, what, who, would, who then would need to be told to then mobilize a reinforcement or forces? Who would need to be instructed? Who are the players and the powers that be that turn a presidential command into reality? Or, and this is part of the issue he brought to realize as well, an investigation does not always vilify. It doesn't always confirm what we think we know. There may be some aspects where people that we believe are in the wrong really didn't have the power, even if they were speaking. It may also be that people that we believe are no, are no um, would never have any interest in trying to promote an insurrection. There may have been some procedural shortcomings, operational shortcomings that were not executed in a timely manner. Again, these are all things that I think are going to be important from the legislative select committee's perspective to figure out what needs to be done. But I think really, while we're listening for those answers, what what we heard last week from the likes of Officer Hodges and Gunnell and Fanone and Dunn, there was no comparison to being able to see what was happening in that moment from their perspective. I mean, ladies, I thought it was so incredibly powerful to hear not only about the the, the knee-jerk reaction of racism and vile rhetoric spewed, the idea of trying to convert um, one of the white officers to join in brotherhood against officers of color, the ideas of being called traitors and and being being told they're not patriots, defending the citadel of democracy, but also the, the notion of they were doing it to protect members of Congress, everyone in the Capitol, who did not necessarily universally, as we know, reciprocate that honor, that duty, that oath. And what is so shocking to people about last week, if you really think about it, what they experienced in that incredible testimony was the middle of the story. That's not where it began. Right. No, nobody comes with a January 6th 
pre-made screen printed t-shirt. No one just all of us, you, you all live in Washington, DC. Come on. You know, or you don't live well, you don't live, you live, you've been to Washington, DC. And we can walk around the Washington Mall and there's just ready-made lumber enough to make a really great reinforced gallows on the Capitol Hill. That doesn't happen. So there was so much preparation, so much planning. Who paid for the buses for people to get there? Who paid for the budgets for everybody to come out? Who paid for the lumber? Who paid for the t-shirts? Who, um, who reinforced different elements of it? These are the questions that I really think the democracy requires answers of. And I think that the list of people who are going to have um, you know, the idea of the proverbial figurative blood on their hands are many, not one. Yeah, it, it, it feels like there are I, I am concerned that we're not going to get answers to those questions, like all of the ones that you just outlined, everything about the, the lead up. I feel like we have been asking these questions since January. We have known that there were members of Congress who were leading groups around the Capitol. We have known that the panic buttons in Ayanna Presley's office were gone. We have we have known things. And there, it hasn't felt like the urgency around getting answers uh, matched the urgency with which we wanted to know those answers. Do right. you feel like this is going to happen now? I think we're going to, there's two things. I think we're going to have more transparency now because we have the expedience of being able to go around the notion of, um, of privilege. You know, privilege is a huge roadblock. It's one of those things that allows people to, to keep a muzzle on when they want to keep the muzzle on. But what's interesting right now is when Garland said, look, I'm not gonna assert the privilege. You can feel free to speak about what happened. This is, this is an exceptional circumstance and it requires exceptional um, transparency in a sense. And so the likes of former you know, acting AG Rosen and others who will now be free to speak, Attorney General Barr now free to speak, Normally, I would say over the last four years, okay, well, thank you for the permission, but I'm still going to go over to the White House to the former president, Donald Trump, and ask, is it okay if I speak because you've got perhaps some privileges you want to assert? But I suspect that the likes of Rosen and others who are also, including Barr, in a bit of a revisionist history, perhaps, of their careers, certainly former A.G. Barr, in terms of wanting to contextualize, explain away his conduct over the past couple of years, I suspect they're more likely to want to be vocal, to, re to help in the recrafting of their narrative, even if it means that um, there'll be other things they could be asked about. I bet we will have more answers just given the political revisionism. But I also think that there is, and you're right to point out, there's, there's all the hurdles have not been overcome. You still have the Presidential Records Act, which essentially um, protects the even the former president even a former president from having everything exposed, they still have some ownership over those aspects of it. There still goes through the archive process over a number of years. They still have some claim to it, but you know who does not? The agencies and the agency heads who are agency members who spoke or have records of their own. So while there may be an email, for example, maybe even a phone record in the White House, right? That the, pres the former president will say, I want this preserved. I'm going to fight either on privilege grounds or under the presidential records. I'm going to fight these things. Well, guess what? The fact that the email may have may also be in the White House, former White House's control, doesn't mean it's not also in the control of an agency that the former president does not control. For example, Homeland Security, mm -hmm. or perhaps it's obviously Justice Department. 
Maybe it's maybe it's Secretary of State, State Department in some respect. Maybe it's another entity we don't even know about. Maybe there's some branch of the military. All the records that are also maintained in their files, Congress does have more control over, and, and President Biden can aid in the release of that data because it's not something that the former president would be able to lay claim to specifically. So I think while there are some, um, we, there is that quest for transparency, the AG wants there to be some transparency now with the executive privilege not being asserted. The um, Biden administration, the Biden White House has some power over releasing data under different agencies. The President Records Act will still be a, a hurdle. And I still think people should, on the horizon is going to likely be former President Trump trying to assert some claim to communications, not just for him, but for everyone in the Oval Office, the East and West Wing that day. But that's the beauty and the curse of electronic data. It doesn't just belong to where it originated or where, right. it, where it ended up. Right, like my question, I have a lot of questions now more about what he did before January 6th. Um, right. I know everybody's focused on what he did on January 6th, but I think when we, we just found out last week in the New York Times that he was calling Jeff Rosen every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was so similar to the way he talked during the Ukraine phone call um, when he said, um, like, you just don't have, there doesn't have to actually be an investigation. I just need you to announce one. Right. right. Um, I don't need you to prove that the election was stolen. I just need you to announce that the election was stolen and I'll do the rest. And that feels like criminal intent. Is that criminal intent? Are we going to get to a place <laughs> where because I just I mean, calling the Justice Department and telling them to announce that the election has been stolen when that is not, in fact, true. How is that not a crime somewhere? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, I'm glad you mentioned that what happened in Ukraine, the quid pro quo because there's a reason why some members of the select committee, including Adam Schiff, are there, right? There's a reason why um, people like Jamie Raskin, the second impeachment hearings are there, because there's the institutional knowledge there to draw those parallels, to, to make sure people understand how to connect the dots of what it meant to try to plant the seeds. Because what you're, what you're describing is, you know, you just say this, just plant this seed, I'll take care of watering everything else. And he did so successfully in the court of public opinion. As you see, as Officer Dunn said, there are still people to this day who believe what he did, what they did was right, and that the election was stolen, and that Biden is not the um, the true president of the United States based on a free and fair election. The idea of criminality is also interesting here because another person who will be able to speak is uh, a former Georgia federal prosecutor, U.S. attorney, who remember, remember he abruptly resigned during the course of this whole promotion of the big lie in Georgia. Now he'll be able to speak about why he abruptly resigned and what he knew. And that would be the perfect person, frankly, along with say a Jeffrey Rosen, a William Barr to speak about the criminal intent you're speaking about. They are well-versed in what it means to have that mens rea, that state of mind where they intend something to happen. They give us the greater context of all of these things, because until you have not only the person who was in the room where it happened, but also has the legal wherewithal to understand how it's defined and also to give us the rest of the paragraph. What else was the wink, wink and the nod? What did it entail? And what were the prior conversations? You won't be able to make the affirmative the statement you know, definitively whether it is enough to find criminal intent to prosecute someone. But the people that just named, 
Rosen Barr, the former you know, former uh, U.S. attorney in, in Georgia as well, whose name escapes me at the moment. These are all people who are the perfect witnesses if they are willing to be truly forthcoming. And with Garland's decision, let them talk, no muzzle on. I think you might just have the answer you're looking for there. Okay, well... That sounds more more optimistic than I was than I was expecting. It feels like we actually have the conditions where we might be able to get some answers to these questions. Laura Coates, thank you so much for explaining all of this to us this morning, as you do on so many days. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you, guys. Have a good thank day. Thank you. Yeah, you too. You too. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news. <laughs>